everybody. Welcome to Talk of Fame. My guest today is Emmy Award-winning sports broadcaster Michael Kay. Michael is the longtime play-by-play announcer for the New York Yankees, as well as the host of the Michael Kay Show on ESPN Radio. Michael's also the host of the popular Yes Network series Center Stage and author of the critically acclaimed book of the same title. Now, anyone who knows me knows that today's show is very special for me because as a third-generation diehard Yankee fan, Michael's voice has been a part of some of the happiest moments of my life. The same goes for my family, as you'll learn when I remind Michael of the time my mom approached him with such vigor outside of Yankee Stadium, she had to be apprehended by security. Now, in this episode, Michael talks about the two legends who left him awestruck, why he thinks he has a shot with Jennifer Aniston, and about the time Yankee great Don Mattingly let him into a players-only hotel party under the condition that he never reveal what he saw. Did I get any juicy details out of him? You'll have to stick around to find out. So get out your peanuts and Cracker Jacks. This is Michael K. Hey, Michael. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Will. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for doing this. I know you're a very, very busy guy. You've got the show. You've, are you still doing... How often are new episodes of Center Stage coming out? We haven't done an episode of Center Stage since uh, last, you know, March of 2020 with the pandemic because the audience is kind of a part of that show. Yeah. And we haven't really been able to have an audience. I sat in. I was in the Ray Romano uh, episode. It was good, right? Yeah, really good. And, and I looked to my right and there's Nancy Newman. She was sitting next to me in the audience. She said, I'm a big fan. I said, of who? Michael or Ray? She said both. So probably um, Ray, probably Ray. Well, thanks for doing this. And I have to start off by saying this, Michael, I miss you because even though you got the show during the day, the Yankee season just unfortunately came to an end Mm -hmm. and baseball it's every night for six months. And me and my family, we put it's on the TV, whether it's in the background, no matter what we're doing, we're hearing your voice. And I want to know for you, you love the Yankees so much. Do you relish your time off more or the time when you're in season? Well, I mean, I will never complain about, you know, the long season because I wanted to be the Yankee announcer since I was nine years old. So if I complain now, what a fraud I would be. But the baseball season is a grind. It's long. Uh, That's why. I appreciate everything that players do. It's really hard. I mean, I I guess this year I broadcasted 140 games. I'm usually at like 130, but remember last year I only did 60. So kind of make up for some of it. But uh, I like the time off. I mean, obviously it'd be better for the network and better for the organization that the Yankees went a long way. But after they got eliminated in the wild card, I have a six and an eight-year-old. So I've got this constant guilt and battle um you know am i spending enough time with them Mm. and you know because of the pandemic i now do my radio show at home so that saves me two and a half hours round trip in a car so it's kind of nice every evening to be able to you know have dinner with the kids and and put them to bed i mean if you're gonna have kids in your 50s and your 60s you better pay some attention to them but i mean do you miss going to the stadium every day and broadcasting you know you know what um i don't because obviously what i gain from them not being in it is it's time with my family and i love going to the stadium and and doing my job every single day but i can't say like uh, in the middle of october that i'm just you know i'm jonesing to go back to yankee stadium right you know when it's time to go again it's almost like there's an internal clock and my wife jody knows it as well my birthday's in february and i usually know a couple of weeks after my birthday that spring training and she says you have that look in your eye because you start to miss it and i think the length of the season is just about perfect so long answer to a short question it's not like i'm pining to be at yankee right. stadium right now right what i want to ask you about obviously talk of fame we talk to people who are of public note Your celebrity is sort of an interesting one, in my opinion, because 
sports, people go so crazy for sports and people think of some of the happiest moments in their lives and they are sports moments. Your voice, that's a part of those memories for people. Do you ever think about that and how profound that is? Or is it just, you're just there doing your job? No, I do think about it a lot. And, uh, you know, I've been doing it 30 years now. So there are guys that are, you know, guys and gals that are 40 years old that started listening to me when I was 10. And I, I you know, I, I can't believe that I've been such a part of their life. And, you know, you said I have a particular type of celebrity. I don't think of myself as a celebrity, but it's a really perfect sort of celebrity because people think nice things. I mean, some might not like me, but obviously the news that I'm giving them, it's usually good. Right. And they enjoy themselves and they spend half the year with you. And I think it's a, it's a kind of a fun, warm feeling sort of celebrity. And when people see me, they smile and it's not like they're intrusive or anything like that. I can't even imagine what a real celebrity goes through where, you know, everybody feels like their time is your time. But with me, it, it, it couldn't be more perfect. And I do. I realize how important it is to people. I, I never, ever try to diminish that. I think it probably you're fortunate that you're the Yankee announcer because most of the memories are good, are good memories. If you were in right. another, another team, they might have, you know, negatively associate you. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's funny. Well, I, I, I once when Derek Jeter retired, I guess there was some kind of press conference and, uh, for some reason, like, you know, th I only did three innings of play by play when I did the radio with John, mm. but for some reason, every time there was a big Jeter moment, I was doing a play by play. And I just said, thank you for letting me piggyback on your journey because I'm always going to be connected, you know, the flip and the Mr. November and November, yeah. uh, you know, the last hit at the stadium. It's just, it's just so cool. You know, he had this incredible career and if the world exists another thousand years and, those calls are going to be played. There's going to be watching Derek Jeter. And again, I'm just piggybacking along for the ride. So I'm really lucky. Well, obviously a lot of it has to do. I mean, you're ultimately humble, but you, you make your own luck. I think it was Yogi Berra who said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. So you obviously deserve to be. There's something about Michael K's calls that people want to hear. But speaking of sort of this, uh, this, this realm of celebrity and fans, Probably don't remember this, but before I ever knew you a few years ago, me and my family caught a Yankee game. And after the game, you were heading toward the parking lot. And my mother, as my mother does when she sees anybody of note, um, charges after you with a smile and open arms, but wanting a picture or a hug or whatever Michael K is willing to give to security guards. I don't want to use the word apprehend, but they prevented her from getting to you. And then you said, really? guys, it's fine. Let her through. My whole family went to you. We had a conversation. You were like just super personable. Um, so I guess my question is, first of all, uh, would you mind dropping the restraining order on my mom? Done. Um, done. Okay. Number two is how often in your daily life away from the stadium, when you're in the supermarket, uh, how often do you get recognized and have you ever had any sort of crazy fan encounters? I mean, I'm fortunate that I, I, I get recognized a lot. You know, the last year and a half, though, every time I'm out, I'm wearing a mask. So mm. that that it, it's kind of weird. Well, like people still recognize me, I guess, because of my freakishly long head. I knew you were going to uh, see even, <laughs> even with the nose and the mouth covered, they still know it's me. And the, the one it's funny, like throughout all the years, the one thing that people always say when they meet me is, well, wow, I didn't know you were that tall. You're about and six I guess four. I'm six four. Right. And people, I guess I come off smaller. My voice sounds smaller. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's always pleasant though. Even like you know, if you're in the, uh, I love the question. Like if I'm I'm in the supermarket, I could be right. like in Shoprite or Stop and Shop. I invariably get, "What are you doing here?" Michael doesn't eat food, 
Celebrities no, don't I mean, need food. You don't need nourishment. <laughs> and it, it's so funny. I mean, you get you get some weird encounters, but not nothing that I ever felt like uh, like you know like why I don't I don't feel comfortable right now. One time, I, my my daughter was three. I I guess um, we had my daughter when I was fifty two, so I must have been fifty five. And we were walking out of a um a Citibank, and uh, a guy comes up to me. He goes, "Oh, she's so beautiful. How old is your granddaughter?" <laughs> So that got me. That sometimes gets me, especially when you have young children. They know, you know, I'm 60 years old. I have a six and an eight year old. That's weird. But most of the encounters are really cool. But that wasn't a Michael K. That had nothing to do with your celebrity. Did it? No, the guy. No, he just knew that. Wow. This old man has a three year old granddaughter. (laughs) So you've never been asked to sign a body part. Nothing. No one. Nothing like this. No rock star treatment for Michael K. Um, I guess I was once asked to sign an arm, which I said, are you sure? And then, like, some things I'll turn down. Like, um, for some, I have a real weird, I don't sign money. Like, somebody at Fenway Park, the last week of the season, asked me to sign a dollar. And I said, no. I said, I'll sign whatever you want, but I'm not going to deface currency. I don't know. It's just a weird thing I have about it. I don't know. I think that somebody might look down upon that. And, like, he found a piece of paper. I didn't want to be rude. I didn't want to not sign it. But I just feel weird about signing money. Wow. So you heard it here first, folks. Don't ask Michael K. to sign your bills. Um, let me ask you this. Who was the first celebrity that you can remember meeting as a kid? Oh, my uncle was the celebrity, Danny Aiello. Danny Aiello. That's right. Danny Aiello. I met Danny Aiello in a restaurant in New York city one time. Was he nice? But did you, uh, he was nice, but you didn't know, you probably didn't know uncle Danny was a celebrity. So, well, I guess through my uncle, uh, man, this, I haven't told the story in forever. I guess we were like, we, you know, I grew up in the South Bronx and there was a, there was a restaurant there called Joe and Joe's. Mm. It was like a real red sauce kind of Italian restaurant. Right. And uh, my uncle uh, told my mom and dad uh, and my sister, Debbie, come to Joe and Joe's going to have dinner. I'm going to bring along a friend. And the friend was Rodney Dangerfield. So I must've been like eight years old, nine years old. And that was probably the first famous person I met was Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield. I'm sure you understand the same way he was on stage, you know, all of this. And like his, you know, his wife was like, kind of like how he described her. It was kind of cool. I'm sure you understood all of his one liners at eight years old, Michael. I got it. You know, I was yeah. a little advanced for my age, but yeah, I got his one. Well, you mentioned you had a large head. I'm also part of the large head community, though. Me and you have a different shape. Mine's of like a, I have like a square head going on. I know you always right. talk about the long head, but either way, I understand the. You kind of have a SpongeBob head. head. A SpongeBob head. Oh, thank you so much. I <laughs> I hope there's a little more inside of mine, but uh, I have been told I'm like a sponge, so maybe you know. There you go. Um, who was your celebrity crush growing? Up? I know you're a happily married man. No, by the way. Anyone listening, no one compliments their wife more on the air. I mean, Michael always talks about how he's not in her league. Jody is just this angel. But growing up, before you ever knew Jody, who was your celebrity crush? Jennifer Aniston. Still Jennifer is. Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, Jody knows it. But you guys, age-wise, usually it's someone who's like a little bit older than you. Yours was kind of, you guys are in the same ballpark age-wise. Yeah, yeah I guess I, I, you know what? It's weird. I didn't like have like crushes when I was really young. My, right, my crush right. was the Yankees. It was weird. right, yeah, Mickey Mouse, something. Yeah, like I that. love sports, but like when I started to discover the opposite sex, right? Um, I guess Julia Roberts. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. The, the one, the one. The one that has staying power is still Jennifer Aniston. I'm still convinced that if she ever met me, right, 
she wouldn't have been able to control herself. I mean, the charm, the charm alone, that would have been your select, you know, any crazy fans. Jennifer Aniston came out to me. You won't believe it. Um, right. Jennifer Aniston was also mine. We've interviewed Scott Stanford. He is a big Jennifer Aniston guy. I actually met Jennifer Aniston when I was about 12 years old, found out she was filming a movie in New York City. We happened to be outside the building. We waited, waited, waited. And it was the movie Picture Perfect with, um, with uh, Kevin Bacon. And finally, after like a half hour of waiting, she walks, she comes down the elevator. And I was just, I mean, she was my crush. She was in her mid twenties at the height of her powers. And uh, can I get a picture with you? Yes. And I got a picture, blew it up to poster size and I still have it. So if you want, I can superimpose your head on my body there and that'd be great. Uh, send that's, you a copy. Have you, you know, I, I actually thought so many people love her and that that's their crush. And I, right. I, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way about her at all. Right. I think people look at her as not like out of the league because she's so like every person and like a fresh the face, next, American the girl, girl next door type of thing, the girl next door. And like people actually like can imagine that they have a shot. And they don't, right? Because she's probably <laughs> breathtaking in real life. But I think that's why people like think so highly of her like that. Because in their delusional, egotistic minds, they think she's attainable. Also, Will, yes. I mean, since we're talking frankly here, yeah. If Ross could get her, I could get her. <laughs> well, Brad Pitt also got her. So there's a large Yeah, there. That's true. You've met so many people, uh, Michael, you've uh, you were in between all your New York sports writing TV stuff with all the different New York sports teams, um, the center stage show that you have, which I love being around the Yankees. Who's someone that you've met that left you completely awestruck? I, I don't know if you could say I met him. I was I was emceeing Derek Jeter Day at the stadium mm -hmm. and uh, I, I got to introduce Michael Jordan. And like he walked out of the dugout and walked over and shook my hand. And like, that was like, wow, that's Michael Jordan. Yeah. And you know, I, I've gotten the opportunity to be around the biggest stars in sports, but Michael Jordan just has this different thing yep. about him. And I think that everybody that was lined up on the line that was there for Derek Jeter, they felt the same way. I mean, I think even stars look at Michael Jordan and they're like, wow, that's Michael Jordan. So that's yeah. one of them that really got me. You shook his hand. Yes. Big hand, big hand. Yeah. And I don't have really big hands. So, right. Uh, it kind of enveloped my hand. That, so that was, uh, That's and he's, awesome. you know, he's, he's taller than me. So he's six, six and right. You know, he was immaculately dressed. It was just, that was the way you imagine, you know, M Michael Jordan and, and you know, Joe DiMaggio was like that too. I was going to ask you about, I believe you've met, I was going to say DiMaggio and Mantle. And I know that Mantle had the reputation of being more benevolent and, and DiMaggio being more rough around the edges. I wanted to ask you what your experience meeting those guys was like. Well, Mantle, you know, I was really close with Billy, Billy Martin. Mm -hmm. So that was an entree into Mantle. I didn't really have a close relationship with him, with, with Mickey, but he was always kind to me because I think because of Billy, I loved Whitey. Whitey was just like a New Yorker, Yeah. but with Joe DiMaggio it was like, you know, he, there was a regal, air about him, mm. you know, almost in elegance. Yep. And when you say rough around the edges, I think people just were almost intimidated by him. Mm -hmm. And like, I never, nobody bothered him. Right. Unless he gave you the signal that you could come into the inner sanctum. Right. I remember this. I, I remember this, I, was, I was waiting in the dugout to go out on the field to, to introduce the old timers on old timers day. Uh, I guess this was like 94 or 95 uh, and Wade Boggs was there. And Wade Boggs walked over to DiMaggio with a ball and said, would you sign that? And Joe just put his hand out and shook his head no. 
and Wade just skulked away. Uh, I mean, Joe had that sort of bearing. And then there was one year, you know, they had Joe dress in the locker that was like two lockers away from O'Neill in the back of the clubhouse. Right. And you could see he wanted to engage with people. So everybody lined up. The players, Will, the Yankee players from that team lined up and got autographs from him. Wow. And he stood there inside. He was in a great mood. And you just, you, you just, you, you took your cues from how he looked, you right. know, whether or not he was in the mood. Yeah. And that was one of the few days that he was really in the mood. He must have stood there for like, or, uh, sat there for about an hour signing everybody's autograph. I mean, players were looking like they had just seen something otherworldly. Yeah. And, you know, you, you see O'Neill with balls and, and Tino bringing, and he just, everybody got as many autographs as they could until, you know, he just shut it down, but it was kind of neat. You've been around a lot of these people, any crazy stories, anything you saw, any funny stories where you were out with either ball players or, uh, you know, at a bar or something where something happened and you were like, wow, I got, I can't wait to tell people about this. I mean, when I first started covering the Yankees as a newspaper guy, you know, to see athletes kind of not on TV, but in real life right. and that they were real people. That was kind of amazing uh, because you just realized, and I have a greater appreciation seeing what they go through. Not that, you know, it's not heavy lifting, right? but you know, it's not an easy job. Hmm. And uh, just seeing what they go through gives me a greater appreciation. What one thing, one story that comes to mind that I was like blown away, Don Mattingly, for some reason, will trusted me, liked me. I always say he was one of the reasons I was able to be successful in newspapers because anybody that came to the Yankees, a new player, a free agent, uh, somebody that was traded midseason, Mattingly would pull them aside. And, you know, all the writers would sit in the, stand in the middle of the clubhouse mm. and he would point to me, he goes, that guy you could trust. Wow. And so that was like, you know, that was the golden ticket. You know, that That's was all Willie awesome. Wonka. And I mean, he and, was, uh, he was the guy. I mean, he was, he was the, the guy. Yankee. He was the guy in baseball. Amazing. And, um, you know, one day we were in Texas and I was hanging out with the writers at a bar and the Yankees were having uh, what they call the beach party. Okay. You know, remember the old hotels where they would have those um, ashtrays with sand in them. Okay. That's when people were allowed to smoke indoors. Yeah, yeah sure. That was well, yeah. somebody would collect all the ashtrays and put it on the floor of a room and it would be a beach party. Okay. And Mattingly <laughs> came up to me, said, you can come up to the party. What you see there, you'll never write or talk about. And I said, Okay, he said, and you can't bring the other writers. Wow, you were chosen. I was like in the inner sanctum, and I went. And I was like blown away. These were like players were really their hair down. Yeah. And you could see, you know, what, how they joked and all that. It gave me an insight that I never, ever lost. And, you know, what I saw in that room, and I will never, I would right. never say. Yeah. But that was like, that was my moment where like, because I was like eight years away from being a fan. You know, five years yeah. before that, I was a fan. Right. And right. now I'm in this inner sanctum, the beach party. So wow. that was kind of neat. That's yeah. like, uh, I only saw the movie once, but I think like almost famous where like the young writer gets to go along with the band or something is, I think that might be what it's about. Yeah. But, um, I actually spoke to Don and he said it was okay for you to divulge the secrets on this show right now. So you uh, have to wait for the book. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I didn't stay long because I felt like I didn't belong. Well, are there any stories of Michael K that people have out there from you, you know, swinging from chandeliers and stuff? I know Cone's supposed to be a wild man. I don't know if I want to know the Michael K stories. I, I have my moments, but you know what, Will? It's really strange. Uh, it's going to sound so asinine, hmm. but I like always live my life 
like I felt like one day I was going to run for president and I didn't want anybody to dig anything up on me. Now I find out that you can do anything and become president. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, 50 years ago when I was a kid, I didn't know that. I thought you had it all be, you know, crystal clear and clean and stuff like that. So, you know, I've had my moments. Uh, yeah. I, I don't drink a lot, so I don't really get that that awfully drunk. There there have been moments my friends have seen. But right. I tell you why, I don't think I've ever done anything that I'm kind of embarrassed about. I want to get you out of here, but I wanted to ask you the honor of doing something here. Um, okay. My favorite part of center stage is hit and run. For those who don't know, hit and run is when Michael asks a series of questions and he asks the guests to give him their, the first thing that comes to their mind. The first answer comes to their mind. I always wanted to know what your answers to some of those questions would be. Would you mind, would Shoot. you have the honor of doing a hit and run with Michael K? Let's do it. Have you done this before? Um, no, I guess one time on the yes network, they asked me like five quick questions. You know, All right. And, but the, nothing is as good as what you're going to do. All right. Favorite meal. Chicken Parmesan. Favorite New York restaurant. Del Frisco's. Favorite call of yours that you've ever made. I would probably say, um, the Jeter 3000. That is mine too. History with an exclamation point. Did you, do you think of them beforehand or no? Quick story. I know this yeah. is hit and run, but sometimes no people, um, I never plan calls because if you plan calls, they sound planned and you could stumble over words. Mm -hmm. But the night before I was, you know, I was sleeping and I knew that he was going for 3000 and I dreamed that he hit a home run and I was announcing in my dream. And in my dream, I said history with an exclamation point. Wow. So then I woke up and I, you know, I hardly ever remember my dreams, but that one stayed with me. And then he gets to hit, I guess the first time up for right. 2999. Then he hits the home run and I'm going, holy crap, this is what I dreamed. <laughs> and it came out history with an exclamation point. So I didn't plan it, but I had dreamed it. That's on you. It was a premonition is what it was. I guess I wish I had a lottery number of premonition. And you call yourself lucky. Look at you. You've got a gift, my friend. Yeah. Favorite, yeah. favorite TV show. Friends. Favorite musician. A combination of Springsteen and Billy Joel. Love it. Favorite film. You're going to laugh at me. I mean, there's a couple of them. They all have the same kind of like overriding theme. It's a wonderful life and click. I love it's a wonderful life. Never seen click. Click is like wonderful. life. Adam Sandler is really successful. Right. And he's always looking for the next thing, always looking for the next thing. And he's rushing through his life. He's not enjoying the journey. Hmm. And uh, that kind of changed the way I looked at life. That movie. I know people look at me and go an Adam Sandler movie. I highly recommend it. It's so much more. It's not like Billy Madison right. or anything like that. It's a really, it, it makes you think. I'm going to check it out. The only part I know is the commercial where the attractive woman's going by and, and he's, he slows it down. And we had Adam Sandler on center stage and he put me in a movie. He's the best guy. What movie were you I in? Was, uh, grown Ups 2, I was Coach Romy. I'm surprised they didn't spin it off. But um, I said to him, I said, that was the worst advertising campaign because if you remember, the girl was running and he was slowing it down. Right. And she had a huge upper right. body blessing. Correct. And you could see her breasts like, you know, moving slow right. motion. And it made you think, OK, it's an Adam Sandler movie. Right. That was like once. And he agreed that it was marketed because they didn't want to lose the Adam Sandlerites that like Billy Madison and stuff like that. And the water boy. But it did a disservice to the movie. I don't want to say the movie should have won an Oscar, right. but it is extraordinary. And Henry Winkler is in it. And there's a scene it at the end. I guarantee will. And I want you to get back to me on this. Yeah. You watch it. You will be sobbing like a baby at the end of it. 
Wow. Well, I cry at commercials, so that's kind of a given, but I cried the opening of a grand union. <laughs> this is not hit and run. What what just the store grand union? Yeah, remember the uh the supermarket grand union? Yeah. Yeah, they have grand openings. I'll start to weep. I just I'm emotional <laughs> since I had kids. Since you had it changed you biologically once those kids it really did. You, Michael. It really did. I used to have a black heart. Oh my goodness. All right, let's get back to this now. Funniest Yankee you've ever met. Probably Dave LaPointe. Dave LaPointe. I'll have to make it a LaPointe to look up who that is. Well, I get it. Uh, favorite uh, favorite moment as a Yankee fan? Um, sitting in the upper deck when Bobby Mercer came back in his second time as a Yankee, and he pinch hit on opening day and hit a grand slam off the Texas Rangers and Steve Comer. That's awesome. Because Bobby Mercer was my guy. That's your guy. That's great. I was going to ask you if this is different, most memorable thing you've ever seen on a baseball field. Probably um, the Cone and Wells Perfect Games. Um, favorite late night snack. When Michael K is in his sweatpants, shoveling something down his throat, watching Click for the umpteenth time, what's he eating? No, that's La Greca. I don't rewatch movies that much. But, um, <laughs> uh, I love uh, I love all kind of ice cream, although it doesn't. my cholesterol doesn't love it. And I love chocolate-covered pretzels. If you could have a Field of Dreams moment, spend an entire day hanging out with any three people from baseball history, players, coaches, announcers, whatever it is, who would you pick? Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson, and it's, it's close between Lou Gehrig and Sandy Koufax. Wow. I'll give you four. I'll, I'll give you four on that one. Yeah, uh, I won't eat. Can't. <laughs> All right. A couple more here. Would you trade your entire broadcasting career if you meant you could have played one season for the Yankees? No. What about a full career with the Yankees? Would you rather be the announcer? Would I be good or would I just be like a run you'd of the mill You'd player? be every, you know, you'd be Brett Gardner, you know, playing decade, put a decade in a little more. Yeah, probably. Okay. The one thing being a broadcaster, you don't have to go away when you're 40. You know, this is true. It's starting. Yeah. You're getting better. You're getting better with age. It's like a, yeah. it's like a fine wine. Uh, best advice you ever received, and who gave it to you? Well, my parents always said work harder than anybody else. That that would be one. And the second one, professionally, it was probably from Al Allen. You know, when I first started broadcasting on the radio, I was also doing the you know what Meredith does, but I was doing that on MSG, the pre and post game show. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mel said, when you're on TV, he said you're just talking. He goes, and when you're on radio, you're broadcasting. He goes, talk. He said, tell me one thing. He said, who's the one person that listens to every single game that you do? I said, my mom. He said, talk to her on the air. Because if mm. you talk to her, everybody that's listening thinks you're talking to them. Wow. It's worked for you. Finally, if you were trapped in a foxhole, what person would you want in there with you to help you get out? Jody. Jody. Well, I almost said this has been center stage. Uh, that was hit and run. Um, I know speaking of hit and run, you've got to run, uh, got to go do the show, but I know you're everywhere. Anything you want to plug? You got the, the book, which is out right now, right? That's like a best of center stage from a rod mm -hmm. to Jay Z. What, uh, where can people find you? What do you want to get out there? Well, I, I'm going to go to a flea market this weekend in Long Island. I'm going to sell it out of my trunk. So you can see me there. Otherwise you can wait, get what it town? I'm a Long Island guy. What town? Uh, probably, um, Massapequa, I think. It's a nice flea market there. Are you being serious? You're joking. Yeah. No. I can't tell if you're joking, Michael. I'm joking. I don't know if the hell if you really go make appearances. No. You, you can get it on Amazon, wherever you buy your books. You go to Barnes & Noble. 
You remember that I was from Massapequa or you researched me? What's going on here? I didn't remember. And I, that was the name that that's, uh, see, it's a history with an exclamation point it's, dream. I to, just be in your, to be in your head, Michael, would either be a glorious experience or really scary. I don't know which. Or, you know what? There'd be a lot of room. <laughs> uh, Michael, uh, thank you so much for sitting down. I hope you had a good time. And yeah. um, these stories are great. And honestly, you're just uh, you're, you're just one of the best guys out there. So uh, thanks. And hopefully we could do this again and be talking about the 28th Yankee championship. And tell your mom the restraining order has been lifted. Straining order has been lifted. Uh, I can't yeah. wait to tell her. She'll be she'll be running up to you to thank you before you know it. Cool. <laughs> thanks, Will. All right. Thanks so much, Michael. My thanks to Michael K. Uh, now, I have to clarify something. When I was interviewing him, I didn't hear him say he was going to be selling books out of the back of his car. I just heard him say he was going to be at a flea market, which I thought wasn't totally out of the realm of possibility. I know people make appearances. They they sign books for people. They go to you know bookstores. So uh, had I heard him say that he was going to be selling them out of the back of his car, I would have obviously realized that he was uh, joking. But I got to say this about Michael. He's such a good dude. I reached out to Michael during the Yankee season asking if he would do the pod. And he asked me if we could do it during the offseason and gave me a good reason. And, you know, I figured, okay, maybe he's just being nice. You know, sometimes if somebody says, can we do it in a few months? They're not really planning on doing it. Well, with like two weeks to go in the season, Michael reaches out to me and he's like, hey, I owe you a podcast. I haven't forgotten. And I was like blown away. Like, wow, he, you know, was a man of his word. And then the second the Yankee season ended. I mean, literally at one in the morning, the night the season ended and Michael wrapped up his final post-game show on the Yes Network, he was like, let's set it up for next week. So uh, Michael's just a great guy. Uh, he, you know, he's from the Bronx. He always wanted to be the Yankee announcer. He hasn't forgotten where he's come from. Uh, I guess, well, technically he kind of still is where he comes from in the Bronx. But uh, just a great guy. So thanks again to Michael K. Now it's time for Tales from the Fans. As you know, at the end of each show, we read stories submitted by you guys on social media and on our website about your encounters with celebrities. And I saw this story and I thought it would just be perfect for today's show. And you will see why. Uh, it comes to us from Billy C. Billy writes, while I was going to college at Towson, my then girlfriend, now wife and I went to a Yankees Orioles game at Camden Yards and heard the Yankees always hang out at a bar called McFadden after the game so we went decked out in yankee gear we were there about an hour when all the black cars start rolling up jason giambi jeff weaver bernie williams and alfonso soriano showed up and then Derek jeter arrives solo and all the girls sprint to the door my girlfriend included the bouncers are literally fighting the girls back and clear a path to the vip room where i happen to be standing jeter walks right by me i stick my hand out and said nice shot tonight since he had hit a home run in the game he high fives me and says thanks and every girl in the bar wanted to murder me out of jealousy my now wife included that is a super funny story uh imagining just all the girls flocking to the door and all of their significant others <laughs> being like baby what about me it's so it's funny because you know you think about jealousy in relationships when it comes to celebrity and i was just having this conversation with my family and we asked all the men and all the women at a family function about whether or not they would be jealous if their significant other, you know, got a picture with and kind of fawned over a celebrity. And the funny thing was all of the women said they wouldn't care if their male partner met a gorgeous female celebrity and was kind of just, you know, floating in that moment and got a picture with her. They wouldn't care at all. They said, nah, it's a celebrity. It doesn't really care. It's not real. Like, what's the big deal? 
all the guys at the gathering said they would be jealous if you know, a Derek Jeter or a George Clooney or someone was there and their wife or girlfriend went up and was like fawning over them. And I was wondering, what's the the difference there? What is it about the two sexes that makes it different? And it was very interesting because uh, part of the research that I read talked about the differences in jealousy between men and women. And they found that uh, women are more jealous emotionally if they think that their significant other, uh, their husband, their boyfriend is having like an emotional relationship with somebody divulging, you know, intimate details of their life with another woman that bugs women more. But when it comes to just strictly superficial, strictly sexual jealousy, men are so much more jealous than women. And they said the reason I found this fascinating was something called paternal uncertainty. And this is an evolutionary thing. And this is, I'm actually quoting from this study that I read. It says, the cause of the trend is paternal uncertainty. Men can never know for certain whether their child is genetically related to them since there is always a chance the child came from another father. So that's where the jealousy comes from. And guys, when it comes to their wives or girlfriends, they evolutionarily want to keep every man away from her so that they can know for sure on a subconscious, on a deep, on a genetic level that their kid is actually theirs. It's just all very fascinating to me. And I know it kind of went down a deep rabbit hole here. But as you know, we we do bring up uh, the psychology of celebrity uh, often on this show. So anyway. Um, super cool story. Thanks to Billy C for submitting. And remember, we want to hear from you. That's what this pod's all about. Tell us about your celebrity encounters at talkoffamepodcast.com or hit us up on social media and your story could be featured on our next show. As always, you can check out Talk of Fame wherever you get your podcasts and at talkoffamepodcast.com. Thanks for your continued support and interaction. Uh, we've got a lot of great guests coming up with a lot of amazing stories to tell. Hope to see you guys again next time right here on Talk of Fame where stardom and fandom collide.